Thanks, Pastor Brandon. I am uh, Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks, and it's my honor and privilege to unpack the Word of God with you and for you today. I'm excited to do that. I feel like God is going to speak through uh, the message today and through His Scripture today. Do you believe that God still speaks to us today? I know it's, it's, kind of, it's like second service, so it's like you should have gotten like more sleep. So you should be more alive this morning. But do you believe that God speaks to us? Like, really? I mean, it's kind of a big yeah. deal. I think he does. Uh, I know he does. And so I believe he's going to speak to us today. If you're joining us online, I believe he's going to speak to you, whether that's Facebook Live or on our online campus. We're glad you're with us today. We've got somebody kind of moderating there to talk with you and pray with you. Uh, just comment or get in the chat, and they will uh, engage with you and connect with you. Uh, and even now, if you would just tell us kind of where you're watching from, joining from, and how many you're joining with, or who you're joining with, I should say, uh, we would love to kind of connect you with you in that way. If you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and head over to the book of what? Colossians. It's on the screen. Um, Colossians, we are in a verse-by-verse study uh, this summer through this book uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and it's been really good so far. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can grab your phone or your tablet, head over to the YouVersion Bible app. You'll get all of our notes there and uh, be able to follow along. We'll be in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8 in a moment. Hey, um, tricking kids is fun, isn't it? I mean, it's fun to trick kids, right? I mean, how, how many of you do that to your kids or your grandkids? You kind of trick them to make it. Okay, yeah, some of you are a little hesitant to raise your hand. Some of you are lying in church. It's fine. Um, but it's fun to kind of kid with, with kids to, to, to joke with them and to kind of trick them to see what they believe and what they don't believe, right? It's just a, kind of a fun thing. Uh, in my house, we like to laugh. Uh, we, I don't want to be, you know, a dad that's unapproachable. I want to be a dad that, that has, uh, brings a lot of joy to my kids. And so I'm the dad who's always hiding uh, and jumping out and scaring my kids and my wife. And so I, I'm that dad. I'm the one who's always playing jokes and, and making stuff up. I like to make uh, stories up just to see who's buying it. I like to see at, at dinner time, like, which kid is totally believing me and which kid's like, whatever, dad, right? So I like to do that a lot. I do it all the time. Whatever we're talking about, like, oh, giraffes. You guys talk about giraffes? Ah, I remember when, uh, before I moved to the United States, I lived in, on the African plains, and we saw giraffes all the time. Some of you are believing me. I'm not telling the truth. We saw giraffes all the time. And like, we even, I, Joshua, do you know I even rode a giraffe? That was awesome. Hey, Kennedy, did you know that giraffes actually taste pretty good? <laughs> Sometimes I get, really, Dad? Really? That's awesome. Sometimes I get, whatever, Dad. We know, we know you're lying, right? Camping, oh, I remember... Before your mom and I had kids, we used to live off of the land. We camped all the time. We lived off of the land in southern Canada. And I remember that. We used to do that. And, like, we just, whatever we could find and forage, we would live off of. And it was just an awesome time. One time, we came up on a pack of wolves. And, like, they didn't like us at first, but then they accepted us into their pack. And it was pretty cool. And the alpha the alpha dog, the alpha wolf, really became one of my best friends to this day. He's kind of my best friend. I just like to see who's buying it, right? I just like to see who's buying it. And my kids are like, whatever, Dad. Or sometimes it's like, you were in a pack of wolves? That's awesome. 
Daddy, all three of us look the same. Like all the Mills kids look the same. Everybody always says, we all look the same, same color eyes, hair, all that. We look the same. And I, I say, yeah, and that's crazy because we found you in a park. Like we were just hanging out. We like found a baby. And that was, so it's weird that you look like your siblings because you're not actually related to them. Tricking kids is fun, isn't it? It's fun. What's that? And then you eat one of their fries. That's a dad trick. When we were camping a couple weeks ago, um, we were hiking, which with my age kids just means walking slowly and carrying and keeping from crying. And then with my two-year-old and four-year-old, it's stopping every five feet to look at a flower or a bug or whatever. And so we were hiking um, for six hours. No, I'm kidding. I don't know how long it took. But we were hiking, and Joshua was talking, we were talking about how Joshua, my four-year-old, is fast, and he raced his sister, and I won't tell you who won, Joshua won, I won't tell you, um, and then he was talking about how fast he was, and we were talking about how fast he was, and so he goes, Daddy, I'm going to beat you, I'm so fast, I can run, and you won't be able to catch me, I'm so fast, and I'm like, are you sure, you know, because my son, I think sons do this, they like to challenge, they like to challenge the king, right, they like to challenge, like, I think I could take him, right, I think I can whoop him, and then I'll be the king, and so so I'm like, are you sure, bud? And he's like, yeah, I'm so fast. I'm going to run, and you won't be able to catch me. And I was like, okay, you ready? Let's do this. You run, I'll try to catch you. Ready? One, two, a hawk. What is that? It's a hawk. And Joshua looked up, and I caught him. And I won the game because I'm a lot older than him, right? And we did that three times in a row. And three times in a row, he, I'm going to beat you, Dad. I'm going to run. You're not going to be able to catch me. Hawk. Caught him. Three times in a row. Fourth or fifth time, he didn't look. He wasn't falling for it. Here in cross training two weeks ago, when we had like 250 kids in here, Pastor Dan was doing this illustration. He was talking to kids about being distracted, how easy it is to be distracted and to be tricked and to get our attention away from Jesus. And so he had the kids just try to focus on him for 60 seconds. Just look at him, only him, for 60 seconds. And that's difficult for you to do, Right? It's much more difficult for a kid to do. But add to that, he had people like volunteers like bouncing basketballs around and blowing whistles and, and playing tambourines and trying to trick the kids into looking at them and taking their focus off of Pastor Dan. And his point was that it's really hard to focus on Christ, on the cross, on the truth with all of the distractions that are going on in our lives, right? It's really difficult. And the kids really struggled. To do that. Kids, right? I mean, they're so easily tricked. They'll believe almost anything. They trust so easily. That's, parents, that's why it's important to be vigilant about who and what your kids are learning from, right? And that goes for all ages. Like, it pro- you probably should know how much TV your kid is watching and what they're watching. You know, you probably should know and be careful about what voice they're listening to in their earpiece while they're playing that game for the third or fourth hour in the day. You should probably care about that because kids, they trust so easily. They're easily tricked. They're easily deceived. But you know what? The longer I live, the more I realize that it's not just kids, right? It's not just kids because grown adults, people, full-grown people are so easily deceived People who seem like very healthy Christ followers 
college graduates, intelligent people, people who have wisdom from years of experience, they are also easily deceived, distracted. Someone will come along and say, point in the distance and say, look, and they'll not only look, but they'll run that direction. They'll chase after that thing, whatever it is. They'll begin to prioritize their life around it. Even though, just like when I was messing with Joshua about a hawk being in the air, there's really nothing over there. There's really absolutely nothing that they're pointing at. I've seen people run after stuff, houses, cars, money, vacations, because they believe that there's value in those things, enough value to base their lives off of it, to pour all of their energy and time and effort into chasing those things. They believe that there's this great value in them. I've seen bright, logical, Jesus-loving parents just run themselves, their family, their kids ragged, going from sport to sport to sport, activity to activity to activity, because they believe that there's some value there. They've been deceived into thinking, this is worth putting my life on. This is worth basing my life and my time on. This is worth determining my weeknights and my weekends every single week. They're deceived into thinking that that this has anything to do with, with good godly parenting, right? I've seen people stop wearing certain clothes because a religious teacher tells them that they can't wear clothes that have mixed fibers in them. Because of Deuteronomy 22. You should read it. Kind of weird, right? I've heard of people who have given all that they have, everything in their bank account, emptied their bank account, given it to a gold ring wearing televangelist who says, If you give me all your money, God will give you 10 times that back. I've seen people deceived. Someone comes along and points into the distance and goes, look! And so many are deceived. They trust so easily. It's amazingly easy for people to base their lives on what will ultimately prove to be nothing. Absolutely nothing. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing from prison to a young church, because all churches at this time when he's writing are young churches, right? He's writing to a young church in Colossae uh, because they are being infiltrated and, and they're being deceived by this false teaching group called the Gnostics. And these teachers are coming in and pointing at things and going, look here, put your focus here, chase after this over here. They're saying that Jesus is not God's son, that he's not enough, that he's just kind of the first rung on the ladder, that they need to do more, they need to know more, right? That they need to have more because they can't reach God currently. They're saying that there are other things outside of Christ that these young believers should run after and focus on and prioritize. And so the Apostle Paul's letter is about the supremacy of Christ, as we've studied it. The fullness of Christ. Paul is writing about how it's not Jesus plus morality or Jesus plus knowledge or Jesus plus this program or that style, but it's Jesus plus nothing. There, is no, there are no subtractions or additions 
here. It's, it's no compromise. It's only Jesus, Jesus plus nothing, the fullness of Christ. Look at Colossians 2, starting in verse 8. It'll be on the screen. See to it, the Apostle Paul writes, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is warning us in the Colossian church, don't be taken captive. He's saying there are these philosophies that are coming against you. Don't believe them. For the Colossian church, it was, it was Gnosticism, but it could take many forms, many deceptions, many ways to be deceived. There are philosophies coming against us today. They can and will enslave you, take you captive. And he says that they're empty deceit. What he means is that they promise big things. They say that there's fulfillment at the end of the rainbow, Right? There's this big thing over here, but in the end, they're empty. There's nothing there. Nothing that will give you satisfaction. They're empty deceit. He says they're according to human tradition. In other words, they're always based on something that sounds legit, right? This philosophy has been around for thousands of years. People have been doing it, this ancient tradition, or it's a, it's a current cultural phenomenon. Everybody's doing it. It's okay, everybody's doing it, even church people are doing it, it's fine, it's based on human tradition, it always sounds legit. Then he says it's according to elemental spirits. In other words, there are spiritual forces of darkness behind this deception. It's demonic, these philosophies coming against you, they are demonic. Listen, beloved, this is not some easy test that everyone passes. If you're sitting here thinking like, yeah, kids are easily deceived, but I'm not a kid, so I'm good to go. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not deceived. I never will be. Just take a beat. Just think about it a second. That thing that will deceive you, it looks great. The people pushing it, they look healthy. They look healthier than you do, right? Like, they look like they're a step ahead of you. It looks enticing. It looks good. Whatever it is, they, they look like they've got life figured out. And this idea, this thing that they're pushing, it's always based on some ancient thing or based on the masses running after. Like everyone's going this way. Everyone's looking in this direction. So it must be okay. Church people. So it must be okay. To top it all off, there are real sport, spiritual forces of evil at work. Don't think, when I say spiritual forces of evil or demonic, don't think like pitchfork red horns like that would be easy to spot right like if that guy shows up in your house don't listen to him right and i think you would pass that test if a if a demon shows up that's like red pitchfork horns that whole thing like you'd be like nah i'm out right you think you can pass that test yeah or if you had the choice between like blazing man of light with a halo and red Like pitchfork guy, you would choose blazing man of light, right? You would choose the angel over the demon if you looked at him that way. But that's not what I'm talking about. Don't think that way. These are enticing. This is enticing, attractive, alluring, and unbelievably convincing. We are so easily tricked because this is what we're up against, the Apostle Paul is writing. He's trying to get us to see this stuff for what it really is. He's trying to cut through the glamour, the mirage, 
the deception so that you can see the truth about what you're running after, what you're basing your life on, that it's empty, that the people pointing and saying, look, in the end, are pointing at nothing. And one of the easiest ways for Bible-reading, Bible-believing Christ followers who are committed to, submitted to, and plugged into a local gospel-centered church. I'm going to say that again because these qualifiers I'm throwing out are intentional. You ready to listen? One of the easiest ways for Bible-reading, Bible-believing Christ followers who are committed to submitted to and plugged into a local gospel-centered church to spot deception and know that it's deception, to know that what they're basing their life on, the, the, these ways to set your life up, these things that you're running after uh, are not according to Christ. That, that's how you know that, that they're deception. That the last thing that the Apostle Paul says in that verse, that they are not according to Christ. That. That's the easiest way. Is it according to Christ or is it not? But here's why I use those qualifiers, because if you're not Bible-believing, if you're not a Bible-believing, Bible-reading Christ follower, if, if you're not submitted to, committed to, plugged into a local Christ-centered, gospel-centered church, then how in the world would you know what's according to Christ and what's not, Right? I mean, how in the world would you be able to tell that this thing that you're running after and the guy's pointing to is according to Christ or if it isn't? I mean, how would you know? Well, I feel like God's okay with it. I mean, he's a loving God. He wants me to be happy. This thing makes me happy, so it must be okay, right? I just don't feel bad about it, so it must be okay. You know, I thought a long time about it, and it just makes sense that God would be okay with this, that, that I could run after this. I mean, I'm not murdering anybody or hurting anybody, so what's a big deal? If I believe this, if we do this, if we spend our time in this way, listen, feelings, thoughts, reasoning, what your grandma or your dad or your best friend says means nothing, absolutely nothing, unless it's according to to Christ. Everybody say according to Christ. And the only way you can know if something is according to Christ or not is if you are a Bible-reading, Bible-believing Christ follower who is committed to, submitted to, and plugged into a local gospel-centered church. That's the only way. Well, they say it's about Christ. Okay, but which Christ? What Christ? Is it the Christ of the Bible? You should probably ask, right? You should probably check it out. You should probably make sure. Well, they're, they're church people that are going this way and pointing over here and doing this thing. They're, they say they're Christians. Okay, but the Apostle Paul didn't say according to church people. He didn't say according to Christians. He didn't say according to people who say they're following God, Christ Jesus. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said according to whom? The answer is Jesus. I thought you'd get that one in church, right? He said, according to, all right, we're going to do this all night, all day, night. I'm going into the night, all afternoon. He said, according to Christ. So it's not Christians. It's not church people. It's not people who say 
they're following Jesus. It's according to Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference. Look at verse 9. Why is it so important that you're following, that I'm following, that we're putting all of our energy into what is according to Christ? Look at verse 9. It says, For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. It's because Jesus is more than God-like. He's more than God-ly. He doesn't just have the character of God or the power of God or carry the message of God. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in every single way. He has all the authority and all of the rule, every bit of power. There is no pursuing God outside of Jesus Christ. There is no more of God outside of Jesus Christ. There is no joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, purpose, peace, life outside of Jesus Christ. Because in him, Colossians 2 just said, the whole fullness of God dwells. So then, your question becomes, is what I'm running after, is what I'm looking at, is what I'm focused on and prioritizing, is it according to Christ or not? In other words, does it lead to Christ in whom the fullness of God dwells? Does it find its purpose, goal, motivation in only Christ in whom the fullness of God dwells? Does it exalt Christ? In whom the fullness of God dwells, who is the head of all rule and all authority. Does it get my kids, my family, me, those that I have influence over, does it get us closer to Christ in whom the fullness of God dwells? Or does it distract from Christ? Does it put distance between us and him? And not only is Christ the fullness of God, but the Apostle Paul just wrote that Christ has filled you as well. And then he goes on in verse 11. I'll read you these four verses and then we'll come back and unpack them and talk about them. Verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So there's a lot in there. Let me kind of go verse by verse and get the context here. He's saying, don't be deceived, right? Don't be tricked. Don't be held captive by all of these false life philosophies. Others may be running towards them in the past or currently in your culture or in your family, but they're empty, he says, and demonic and not according to Christ. And Christ, the Apostle Paul says, is where the fullness of God dwells. He is the head of all rule and authority. And, verse 11, the Apostle Paul goes, you're different. You should be different. You should be different than the world. Like things have changed because Christ lives in you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Like something is different. You belong to Christ. So you're different. 
listen, beloved, you can stay safe and secure in Christ, not only because of the fullness of God in him, but because of the fullness of him in you. You tracking with me? Not just because of who he is, but because of who he is in you. Not, not just anybody, though, right? Not, probably not all of you. Probably not. not. Not everybody you think is a good person. Not everybody you like. Not everybody you love. This isn't talking about everybody who says they believe in Jesus or even says they love Jesus or believe that he's God's only son and that he came to die for us. Not everybody who says I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. He's talking to people who have really, truly, completely surrendered their lives, given their lives over to God through Christ. I mean, he is very detailed in these four verses about who it is he's addressing that has Christ in his fullness living in them. Verses 11 through 14 that we just read, it's, it's kind of a list of what it means to be a Christ follower, to have Christ living in you. A lot of people say they follow God, right? They follow Jesus, but what do they mean? They go to church some? They're not murderers or drug dealers? They're not as bad as their dad or whoever hurt them when they were a kid. They're not as bad as their neighbor. A lot of false cults say that they're Christian or that they worship Christ. But it's not the Christ of the Bible. This list that the Apostle Paul gives us is a list of what it means to be a true Christ follower. So you can ask yourself as we go through this, does this describe me or not? And if the answer is that it doesn't describe you, then maybe you take some time and you read some scriptures and you decide once and for all, am I really into this whole Jesus thing or not? Am I really into this whole thing or not? Paul's going, you can keep from being tricked, distracted, derailed, enslaved by these very enticing life philosophies only because you're filled with Christ and, verse 11, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Let me explain that really quick. Circumcision was a sign for the Israelites that made them followers of Yahweh, followers of God. And so circumcision, think, think like no medical facilities, <laughs> like flint rocks, okay? Like no electricity, you with me? So this was a painful, difficult thing that God required them to do in order for them to prove their loyalty to him. And once they went through this, they were marked. They were set aside. It was obvious. They were now God's chosen people. And so this is talking about you and I going through the pain and the, the difficulty of aligning our lives up with God and his scriptures. It's painful, it's difficult, and it's obvious. You're marked from then on. There's sacrifice and commitment involved, not unlike what Jesus went through on the cross. So the question is, is this you? Is this you? Next on the list, verse 12. You've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is talking literally and symbolically. You were 
baptized literally, showing symbolically that you died, that you died to sin, that you died to your old life, your old priorities, your old thoughts, your old schedule, your old patterns. You died. And you were born again, brought back to life through your faith in Jesus and the powerful working of God. So is this you? Have you changed? Is there an old you and a new you? Or is the you that was before this whole church thing the same you that's now going to church? Is the you before Jesus different than the you after Jesus? Is this you? Next on the list, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Have you gone from death to life? This is asking. Because that's a stark contrast, right? How many of you have seen something that was dead come back to life? Anybody? I was just going to see if anybody raised their hand because I would talk to you afterwards. But Jesus did that. He died and he came back to life, right? And that's like, that's like the, the epitome of stark contrast. Totally different. Dead, we think of dead as final, done, dead, but back to life. Like there's a stark contrast. Like you would know if you had been dead and risen back to life, wouldn't you know? I mean, you would know. It's not like, oh, I think I'm following Jesus. I mean, I think I'm a Jesus follower, kind of. I mean, when the lake's not calling, I'm a Jesus follower, right? When I don't have something better to do, I'm kind of a Jesus follower. On the outside, I'm a Jesus follower. No, I think I'm a Jesus. No, you would know. This is darkness to light, death to life. Can you look back over your life? And say, I was dead, and now I'm alive in Christ. I was completely dead, and now I'm alive. Jesus did that. Can you say, I was lost, wicked, selfish, prideful, hateful, sinful, but Jesus showed up, and he transformed me. He forgave me of all that. Is this you? Is this you? Because the last part of Paul's list is that Jesus Christ did all of this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you're his, if you've not just said, I believe he's real, but you've actually surrendered your life over to the Jesus Christ of the Bible as Lord and put your faith into, in him, if you've died and been reborn, then that means that Jesus has canceled your record of debt along with its punishment. It's like you were standing before the judge, totally guilty, proven to be so, no shadow of a doubt that you are guilty and deserving the worst of punishments. You know you deserve death, execution. You know it's coming. You're never going to see your kids again. You're never going to kiss your spouse again. You're never going to feel the sunshine on your skin again. You're never going to see a sunrise again. You're never going to feel the cool breeze on a hot summer day. You'll never be around family and friends. You'll never relax. You'll never have satisfaction. You'll never do any of that. You are going to die and you deserve it. You're sitting there in front of the judge thinking all that is left is sentencing. He's going to send me to die. 
And the judge looks at you. And your face is in your hands just weeping. Because you know what's coming. You expect him to say, executioner, take him away. Take her away. They deserve death. But instead, the judge looks at you and he says, you are guilty. Without a shadow of a doubt, you are absolutely guilty and deserving death. But someone paid your debt. Someone died. They were executed in your place. So you're free to go. That's what this is saying. Your debt was canceled. You've been set free. Jesus took all that you and I owed because of our sin and he nailed it to the cross. Don't, listen, don't think about like if you've been in a service where we did this or somebody did, don't think about like pieces of paper that you write your sins on and you come up and you like nail them into the cross and it's kind of this symbolic thing. Don't think about paper being nailed to the cross. That, that would be easy, right? If all Jesus did was, was like accept your pay, okay, you wrote it down, you confessed it, all right, boom, done, I nailed it to the cross. That's not what happened. Think instead, your sins being carved into the flesh of Jesus Christ and nails being driven through his body into the cross because that's what this is talking about. It's gruesome, it's difficult, it's a huge sacrifice. So is this you. Because you would know. You would know if you had felt the sorrow of your sin, your offense towards a holy and loving God, the debilitating realization that you are going to die justly. You are going to die over and over and over in hell for eternity. You would know if you had the depths, you felt the depths of that, and then, and then you were freed of it. You were given life. Your debt was paid. Guilt and shame were replaced by grace and peace. You would know. So, is this you? I mean, what would an outside observer say when it comes to these four verses? We've all heard of stories the stories of people over the years giving their lives, everything they have over to some false teacher, some, some cult. Sometimes, many times, it ends in mass suicide, right? Like crazy extremes of people giving their lives, literally giving their lives because this false teacher told them to, because God was coming back or because they would get to nirvana or whatever it is, but they committed suicide altogether. Say what you want about those people, but there's no question about what, what they believed. There's no question about where their loyalties lie. There's no question about whether they were really in or just saying they were in. So what about you? Are you marked for Christ? Are you loyal to him? Have you been baptized both symbolically and literally? Have you gone from death to life? Is there an old you and a new you? Have you felt helplessness and over the massive debt that you owe and sorrowful over your sin? Has that debt then been paid? And then that sorrow and that helplessness turned into joy, turned into peace, turned into grace. Is this you?
Man, kids are fun to trick, aren't they? <laughs> it's so fun to, kid, to trick kids, just in a good way, like not in a bad way. It's fun to trick kids, but you know what gets really weird and starts to get a little problematic? is when that kid is 40 years old. And they're still believing every new lie that comes through. They're still looking up to see what you're pointing at every time. If that happens, then we have a problem, don't we? We are so easily tricked, so easily deceived. We'll run after almost anything that promises happiness, fulfillment, even distraction. We're not strong and unmoving like we think we are. We are fickle. Not oak trees with deep, strong roots, more like tumbleweeds blowing in the wind. When someone comes up to you and points in the distance and says, look, many of you will look every single time. Not only look, but you'll be distracted by that for years. You'll run after that for years. You'll base your life on this thing. You'll focus your eyes on whatever they're pointing at. All the while, it's nothing. Absolutely nothing. How devastating, right? It's not difficult to be deceived. It's very, very, very easy. The tricks aren't obvious and sudden and abrupt. They're hidden and gradual. It sounds logical. It sounds good. People have been doing this, believing this, centering their lives on this for centuries. Or our culture, everybody is doing it. So why shouldn't we? They're enticing and there's demonic forces behind them. It's easy to be tricked. I see it all the time. I'm in danger of it myself, just like you. But if this list that the Apostle Paul just gave us in verses 11 through 14 does describe you, then your hope and my hope is found in what he says next in verse 15. Colossians 2, verse 15. He, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, Jesus. Let me read that again. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. If you're his... If you've surrendered your life to him completely, all that comes against you has already been defeated. Isn't that good news? I mean, it's all, you didn't know I was going to make a turn. You're like, man, this is depressing. Let's get to verse 15. Isn't it good news that all of this, if, you, if you've given your life over to Christ, if you're his, if you've surrendered over to him, isn't it awesome that all of this, all that is coming against you has been defeated? Not not only defeated, but the Apostle Paul writes, it's been openly shamed. In other words, whooped, right? Just like completely whooped. It wasn't even close. Like Jesus, like the people who are coming against you, the spiritual forces of darkness that are coming against you, he whooped them, and then he chained them, and then he paraded them down Main Street for all of his children to see. So there's no question, there's no wondering, oh, is, is it going to work out? Is What's going to happen in the end? Is God going to win in the end? There's no doubt. 
He has already defeated them. When you think of your life and you think of all the things that are coming against you, trying to distract you, trying to deceive you, to trick you, lies of materialism and insecurity, false doctrines that teach you that you'll be okay as long as you're a good person, as long as your good things outweigh your bad things. Or if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy all the time in this life. Or all religions lead to the same place, just be sincere. Tricks like more is better. And activity is the same as progress. As long as I'm moving, I must be moving in the right direction. Or, or even quantity is the same as quality when it comes to parenting. Tricks of busyness and me-centeredness. When you think of all that the devil is trying to use to trick you, it can be scary, right? I mean, it can be a little overwhelming. Like, how in the world am I going to stay strong? How in the world am I not going to be tricked? Am I not going to be deceived? How can I possibly keep from being distracted? But when you feel that, remember Colossians 2.15. Write it down. Memorize it. Jesus Christ, who is the head of all rule and all authority, and in whom the fullness of God dwells, has disarmed the ruler's and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He's already won. Isn't that good news? I don't know if you're getting it. The thing is that we many times live our lives, even as Christ followers, we live our lives looking for victory, right? We pray for victory. We Look for victory. We live for victory. But what Colossians 2.15 is saying, if we're to believe it, is that victory has already been won. And so now, as Christ followers, those who have surrendered our lives over to Jesus Christ, and as the Apostle Paul says, Christ is living in us, those people, now we, we have this foundation of victory. We're standing on victory already. So when we're not praying for victory, we're praying from victory, right? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. We're not praying for victory, we're praying from a position of victory. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not always victory going to happen, it's victory has already happened. I just have to align myself with Christ, with God, with what he's doing in my life and in those lives around me. I pray from victory, I live from victory. My posture in life is a posture of this has already been won. They have already been defeated, victory is already the Lord's. Isn't that good news? Let me throw one last thought out at you um, before we close. It's really just a question. Why, uh, why would you go to anything else other than to Jesus? Now, why would you look anywhere else other than up to Jesus Christ? Why would you put your trust in anything or anyone else? I mean, he's the fullness of God. He paid your debt. He will give you life. Why would you turn to the right or to the left? But when someone runs up to you, points in the distance and goes, look, why would you look? Because whatever they're pointing at, it doesn't compare to Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God. doesn't compare if you've 
given your life over to Christ, it doesn't compare to the fullness of Christ already living in you. If you've given your life over to him. So have you? So many are deceived. It's amazingly easy to base your life on what will ultimately prove to be nothing. Don't let that be you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you again for your word that is always true and always right and always cuts to the quick and challenges us and convicts us. I ask, as I always do, Lord, that whatever was of you today, is of you today, would haunt us for days and weeks and months. But whatever is of me would quickly fall to the wayside and be forgotten. Jesus, I pray that somehow we would look to you and only you. That we would be able to look past all the tricks, all the deception, all the distractions, and run after you and only you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in this room who, as we read through Colossians 2, 11 through 14, as we unpacked that, they're like, man, this isn't me. There's no old me and new me. There's no death to life. There's no being marked and, and having sacrificed and, and aligned my life behind Jesus and his commands. There's, there's none of that. There's no baptism from being buried and, and, and risen again. There's nothing like that. I pray for those in this room. I pray, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would overcome doubt and any other barrier that would keep them from once and for all today giving their lives over to you completely and totally and never looking back. I guess, God, that I know that that, that means that we're going to have to let go of some things. And we're going to have to admit that we've been running after some things that really, really add up to nothing. That's hard. It might mean, Jesus, that we have to we have to admit that, that we've been spending years doing this thing that just doesn't add up. That's difficult. Pride begins to surface. And, and I just pray against that, Lord. I pray that you would give us humility, the ability to confess that what we have been basing our lives on is nothing. And then to let go of that, whatever it is, let go of it and begin to follow you with all of our lives and all of our hearts. We can only ever do this by your power and because of what you did on the cross, Jesus. We ask for that now. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May you humbly admit your tendency to be tricked just like a four-year-old, no matter how smart you think you are. May God reveal to you right now where in your life you are just staring in the distance at nothing. And may you, in a time when truth seems to change like the weather, hold fast with everything you have to Jesus Christ, in whom 
the fullness of God dwells.